Good evening, everybody. We are here. It's 12th of September, our 32nd Q&A. We just thank God for the days and the times that He gives us that to continue this ministry, we keep hearing from people how it keeps them going, even the Q&A, the prayer sessions, everything which we started by faith, the ministry of the Word, then the prayer, the Q&A, we see it's blessing so many people. We're just grateful to God. Like, if you know, places like Alberta and Australia, it's complete lockdown. And they cannot even get out of their houses. And we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Alberta who listen. So it's everything works out together. For God's people, it will work out. So we just thank God for these opportunities. We have questions today uh, from all over, and uh, I pray it answers the the unspoken questions in the other listeners in their heart. So before we go to the quest Q&A, the questions, let's look to the Lord. Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you, Father, for every opportunity you give us to exalt you in praise, to exalt you in prayer, to exalt you in the proclamation of the word, and even to exalt you in clearing the doubts of your children. In everything that we do, all we pray, Lord, that Christ have preeminence. This is not our wisdom. This is not about giving smart answers. This is about lifting Christ up. So we pray for wisdom and discernment for us in the answering of the questions. And I pray for the anointing to rest upon all the hearers, O oh Lord. Your word says one of the blessings of the new covenant is not to be offended by the word. And I pray, Lord, people would receive with humility the answer, whether they agree or do not agree, but they would not be offended. So I just commit this time into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, Pastor Vijay, let's so start chronologically start this morning, uh, this evening rather. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, what does it mean to walk in unity in our relationship with God and how does God sanctify our soul? Don't get it. Okay. What does it, uh, to walk in unity and our relationship with God, first uh, response to that would be, see, this is a process. None of these things happen in one day. It's a process. But the first thing about unity, I would say, is that before I can be united with my brother, I need to be united in myself. We've been looking, if you've been following the messages, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and we have come to Mount Carmel and we are still stuck at Mount Carmel. We haven't descended yet. And there you will see an entire nation caught between two opinions, unable to make. So everyone in that camp is of two minds. So there is no unity in them. Mm. Therefore, they are not able to make a decision for God or against God. No, so they will worship Yahweh when it is convenient. They will worship Baal when it is convenient. That's how it goes. And that's the end of the churches. 
end also is prophesied that way. They are neither hot nor cold. But God is able to use, if you look at the entire narrative in, in the book of Kings with Elijah, God is able to use only one man there. Hmm. One man there. Even the others he is not able to use, though there are 7,000 people. Because only that one man is united. He's one. He's absolutely united with God. Therefore, God is able to use him. So one of the fundamentals about unity is that we become one whole. Mm-hmm. And then I'll connect it with, uh, can I go to First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23? Mm-hmm. When it's talking about how does God sanctify, and I'll put it both together. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. <laughs> and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every born-again, true born-again believer is a three-part being. He has a spirit, he has a soul, and he has a body. So what first God is trying to bring is unity in me by making these three one. Before I was born again, I did not have a living spirit. I had a soul and a body. And depending upon which way the body goes, which way the soul goes, you move. But now God is trying to make us whole first. See, the spirit part of me is what hears from God. The soul part of me is what receives the signals from the world. And the body will work it out. When a man is born again, his spirit starts hearing from God. And the soul has to be renewed. That is the sanctification of the soul. In the soul, primarily there are three components. There is the mind. There is the will and there is the emotions. Will in so many ways is neutral. It will go whichever way you have programmed it. Programmed it. If you have program, I'm not using the circle programming, but it is the way it is. You know, if your will has, when you were growing up, when you were growing up, if your will was like tuned towards the world or the flesh, it will exercise it that way. Okay, it will exercise. That's why the, the most important uh, age which will define you is the first five to ten years of your life. People do not realize this. Why? And that's where the children face neglect. Neglect meaning in the sense uh, parents don't realize the importance of those things. Okay, like you will see one incredible man of God called Isaac is messed up towards the end of his life. Like for the last entire part of his life is ignored in the Bible. Simply because I believe the way his mother fed him when he was young. The Bible will say that he loved meat. He loved meat. And that will, okay. And in the same way you will see Noah's latter part of his life, he loved alcohol. He loved wine. That messes him up. Okay. Okay, that messes him up. So you can see this, uh, what messed Moses up. He was a short-tempered man. And then in 40 years, he lost his temper once. And he should not have lost it at that point. And that disqualifies him from entering into the promised land. And these things matter to people only who are running a race. Mm-hmm. Noah is a man of faith. Isaac is a man of faith. Moses is an incredible man of faith. But you will see in the final stretch, final stretch, Something that was there in their past, the devil used to hook them off. So that is where this discipline comes. So when we understand, as we come to the Lord and understand the importance of finishing our race and finishing well, 
then we understand this is what unity means. Unity means my body, like because there it is spirit, soul, body, because God is a spirit, he sees that way. But we, because in the material realm, when I look into a mirror, I first see my body. But even when I'm looking at my body, I'm, I'm making judgments of my body with my soul, not with my body. So I'm aware of my body and my soul, but there is something deeper than that. Mm, spirit, that is the spirit. spirit. And the soul is the controlling factor. Mm. The soul is the controlling factor. The Bible doesn't say the renewing of your spirit. No. No, it talks about the cleansiness, cleansing of your spirit because filthiness can come into your spirit too. Yes. Meaning pride is more a manifestation of the spirit. Like in a, a spiritual man, pride can come in. Pride can come. It can be better. God says you have to worship in truth and in the spirit. You can be absolutely right in your action in the body, absolutely right in your thinking about how to do it and be wrong in your spirit. Wrong in your spirit. Okay. So, uh, so these three comes. So we have to look at when God is talking about unity. And it's, it's only when we are united, we can walk with God. Because if you look at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're absolutely united. There's no discord among them. No? Absolutely united in purpose, in will, in love. Though they function differently, they're absolutely united. And you also know that. A simple thing. If I have, if Pastor Vijay has to get up and go till the camera, he has to be united. Mm. No, his body and his mind, his I'm eyes, sorry. everything has to work properly. If he closes his eyes, he's got a desire, I have to go to the uh, the camera or I have to go to the next room. But if he closes his eyes, though his desire is correct, his part of his body, important for reaching the destination, is not mm -hmm. united with his mind. Mm -hmm. Then he will start stumbling. So that's you have to look at it in that way. God is trying to bring us to unity with him, with him. So that we can walk with him. And Amos 3.3 3 will say, mm -hmm. can two walk, walk together, together unless, unless they are agreed. agreed. All this impo it's important because it is only walking with God, I will be sanctified. Sanctification is not something uh, without purpose. People want to be sanctified. In every religion, people would like to, most religions, people would like to be sanctified. Sanctification for sanctification's purpose will not last. So the question is, why do you want to be sanctified? Why do we want to be sanctified? Mm. What is the purpose of sanctification? If I go to that portion in Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2 and verse, verse 20. You yes. need to realize, no, because these, nothing can be isolated from God for the believer if something has reached logical conclusion. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. I'm talking about God's house. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, meaning sanctifies himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, mm -hmm. prepared for every good purpose. So in the kingdom of God, sanctification has purpose so that the master can use you. Hallelujah. No, in other religions, sanctification is for yourself. Like on the day I die, my good works will outweigh my, so I will have a good entry into the next life, whether it is reincarnation or whether it is heaven, whichever concept religions follow. Sanctification is not for the master. Sanctification has a very selfish motive, it is for self. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, that's not what it talks mm -hmm. about. Sanctification to go to its logical conclusion is that 
I am sanctifying and he is the one who sanctifies and I am sanctifying for his sake, for his purpose that he may use you. Then you will realize it is also connected with the walk. As I sanctify, he walks closer with me or I am able to walk closer with him. And as I continue to sanctify, the walk gets closer and closer. And that is our hope of rapture. That is, you know, you know, walked with God for 300 years and he was no more. Okay, no man. Did God use him? Yes. He's the only man in the entire Bible, the only man in entire Bible who has spoken to every generation. Hallelujah. To our generation also, Enoch speaks. Enoch speaks because he is speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. And his very naming of his son was about the first judgment. Mm -hmm. So Enoch is a man in the Bible who speaks to every generation. Why? Because he walked with God. He was a sanctified man. But first I need to have unity. I have to understand this concept about unity. My body, my soul, and my spirit has to function as one. And that comes when my mind decides to believe on one thing. And God says, believe in something that is eternal. The world and the desires are passing away. But he who does the will of God will be there forever. Ever. And the word of God is through which I receive the will of God. But most people are like Elijah's generation, caught between two opinions. Sometimes world, sometimes God. And they are never united. They are never united. Once you are united, and you, 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 Jesus also doesn't play with words. He says, count the cost. Mm -hmm. Count the cost. It's very clear. Count the cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Yes. That's why we do not invite anybody into the ministry. He said, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to f follow through all the way? And those who overcame the devil, the devil also divides the mind through deception. He will say, the light is uh, dark and dark is light. He's the one who divides the mind. God says, the ones who overcome him are undivided in their hearts. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony, and, and they counted their hearts. They and they're willing to pay the ultimate yeah. price. They did not love their lives even unto death. Amen. And even till today, most people haven't counted that cost, but they have counted and are not willing to pay that price. price. Willing to pay that price. So they struggle with this unity, with their walk with God, and with being sanctified by God. Because in everything you have to be willing to pay a price. Like we have the neat uh, that exam. Yeah, can you reduce a little sounding loud? Uh, uh, what you say, uh, the exam. But uh, only 78% of the students who actually registered wrote the exams. What happened to the other 22? COVID scared them. COVID scared them. So that is an exam everybody aspires to go through. Right, engineering students, especially 22, stayed away because of fear, so they could not finish it. Okay, so we'll stop there. Otherwise, we'll go into a sermon. So, but every one of these questions is a sermon, sermon or sermons in itself. So we are just trying to tackle it at a simplistic. So I think it logically leads to question number seven. Pastor, here. it says, "How okay. can you, as a Christian, have a vision for yourself, have a vision for one another, and have a vision for the church?" I don't get this. Please explain. First, you have to look at, I would, excuse me, you have to look at the church not as an organization. As a body. It is an organism. Uh, amen. It's a difference between an organization and an organism. An organize, organi uh, organism is a living being. Organization is a structure. It's a, and in the 
in the organism there can be an organization mm. for the organization is not an organ org- organism mm. okay so first thing you need to look at it is when you look because this question is connected with the church it is not connected to with people outside the church Amen. there's no relevance to people outside the church because outside the church people are all involved in an organization even a religious structure is an organization so we are talking about an organism when you are talking about organism if you look at it look at at yourself in your mirror look at yourself you are a body you are a body right yes if you look at that question number 7 it says vision for yourself vision, vision for, for one another and, and a vision for the, the church. church but first you need to realize neck down is the church <laughs> the head is christ amen so the vision has to come from god vision has to come from god it does not come from the church the church does not have a vision of itself okay every part of my body functions according to what the head tells it man okay the the direction it has a life of its own which it does but we are talking about functionality if my leg moves leg moves now i put my leg up it's because my head told it okay he told it i thought about that in the mind has an illustration and the leg moved okay so it comes from the head it comes from the head so as an individual has two individuals and the church as a whole cannot have a vision outside of christ he is the head from where everything comes so the first thing you need to understand is christ is the head Christ is the head but there is a body there is a body there is a body Corinthians 12 mm. it's interesting Corinthians first uh, Corinthians chapter 12 because these are all issues every generation of Christians have faced so Paul is the one God uses okay and 12 12 okay for the for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ, christ. Mm-hmm. it's the most beautiful i mean the answer to that question is there literally there in scriptures i mean no no man of god can better it but let's look at it okay yeah and now come to verse 14 onwards 13 is a spiritual okay or let's read from 13 onwards for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greek whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink in one spirit now look at this difference the bible is using in the new covenant in the old covenant in the old covenant if you look at it what is that makes my one body whole what is that goes to every part of my body is is the blood Mm-hmm. yeah the same blood that courses through the entire body and cleanses and goes so you have the concept of arteries it's not a concept it's a fact of arteries and veins so it is the blood in the new covenant we are a spiritual entity what is that goes through the entire body is the same spirit amen it is not the blood we are not blood brothers we are not blood brothers yes, we, we are spirit. spirit brothers now i have two blood brothers they are my blood brothers but when you come into the new covenant so in a family there is a unity because we are of the same blood mm-hmm. but we are of the same spirit 
So what happens is, in the kingdom of God, there is the unity of the spirit, which is much stronger than the unity of the blood. Hmm. Unity of the blood. The unity of the blood can be divided as, as, as soon as the spirit comes in. Yes. Now, like, your brothers may be united with the world. You are united with Christ. Though you love them, they will not understand you, but you understand them. Because you were part of them once. Though you are part now by blood, you are part with this by spirit. So that's what the Bible is talking about. For in the fact, the body is not one member, but many. Can we go further? Yeah. Let me read it for you until it comes over there. Now the body is not made of one part, but of many. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were to be an ear, where would be the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, one body. So the Bible says we are one body with many parts. Okay, many parts. The issue is, the way God has placed us within the body of Christ itself is our test. Is our test. Because you see, how do you look at yourself? How do you look at yourself? Okay, how do you look at yourself? I mean, this has all got to do with upbringing, no? Children, no? Like we have all these sayings when we were, when you, your children are small and you tell them, go wash your face and come. And then you cast them on the way and says, you haven't washed behind your ears. Mm -hmm. Okay, wash behind your ears. Now for the child, behind the ears does not matter at all. But to the parent, Every part of your body needs to be clean. Mm -hmm. For the child, this is not a very important part. But why? Because when you look into the mirror, you don't even see it. Just because you don't see it, it does not mean it does not exist. Mm -hmm. So what happens in a very fallen world, the flesh starts magnifying certain parts of the body and does not worry about certain parts of the body. Like the amount of time people spend on their face. If that amount of time and care was spent on taking care of your heart, mm -hmm. you get taking care of, but nobody sees the heart. Mm -hmm. And most of the diseases, like if you have a heart disease, okay, heart disease, or your internal organs, you don't even see. Okay. Now, because of coronavirus, everybody is aware of their lungs and respiratory system. Suddenly they are very aware. But usually people do not realize. I mean, if you, if only people were aware of, I mean, even physically speaking, of their internal organs, the amount of time, let us, let us be, let us be honest and be brutal. The amount of time people spend on their face, their hands, and their feet. The rest are covered, at least in India. Okay. Okay, at least in India. The amount of time they spend on these things, when they are kind of the most irrelevant things, if you look at the function of the entire body in the kingdom of God, 
Okay, my hands doesn't have to be soft. My hands needs to be firm and strong. Mm. Okay, firm and strong. The color of my skin does not cause bring about anything that pride and prejudice in my heart. Yet people spend so much time on these things, and you know what happens in the same way we take it into the body of Christ. Oh, I wish I was in the worship team. Why? Because the camera is on you. Okay. Now, if you look at our worldwide audience, okay, worldwide audience, they know Peter. They know Peter. Okay, they know Peter. And they know Abel now. Two people they know. Why? Because they are the only two people who they see. But there are other people who are behind the scenes. They have heard the names, but they do not see. Okay. Now, let me tell you, has this six-month ministry functioned only because of Peter? Pastor Vijay and me? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Think about Sammy. Sammy decides I'm taking a week off. Ministry will cease. It's over. So none of us know how to do this stuff. Okay. Absolutely. None of us know how to put this whole thing together. Okay. Even if when, whenever, even if the others have not been able to come, Sammy has run around and handled everything together. Three computers and the camera and the sound system, everything he has functioned. So you have to look at it that way. That way. If you don't see it that way, otherwise what we will see is that, why is it that, if you look at that question, a vision for myself and and a vision for another, okay? I have to see my vision for myself includes others. Amen. Includes others. My vision for myself includes others, Mm. okay? Why is Elijah standing upon Mount Carmel? I have a vision. I am called a prophet of God. For what? To bring the other people back to God. So they can all, we can all serve God and worship Him together. Elijah does not have a vision for himself. He has a vision for the whole nation. Whole nation. And even though he is isolated for three and a half years, or maybe for the first six months or one year at Kerith, he's all alone. He never forgets his vision is for the rest of Israel. Rest of Israel. Okay, though he's he's the only one who receives a vision, yet the vision is connected with others. So I have a vision, I have a vision for another, and I have a vision for the church, entire church, church entire church. And how does it function? It functions with the local body where God has put you. That is why the first thing, the if you look in the Christian world, what you look at is they have shut down the churches, shut down the churches. Okay, because once you shut down the churches, you cannot function literally as a body. Though we have online and all, and that's that is only secondary. Primarily, we should be gathering together, gathering together, because that's part of fellowship, part of working together as a body. So, you cannot have a vision without having a vision for another. Okay, my hand cannot have a vision of its own. Anything my hand does is connected with the rest of the body. Okay? So I cannot, if anybody has a vision for himself, it is not a vision from God. It's a vision from the devil. Mm. Vision from the devil. There's nothing independent Independent. of the church. Okay, independent. And the devil also will use others, but that's the word. He uses others. God God, uh, did not uh, use others. Okay, if you look in the Bible throughout, God never used others. What he before he used any man, what he did was he poured his spirit upon them. Hallelujah. 
he poured his spirit upon them. Okay, so you will see he becomes a part of that person's life even as he uses. So ultimately, if you ask the, ask the question, is God using me or am I using God? Both are true. Mm-hmm. He's using me and I'm using him. Okay. It's unity. In it's union, unity. In it's union a unity. Okay, It's when I am separated from them and I have a personal agenda, then I'm neither using God, I'm using people mm-hmm. for myself. I'm yes. not using God, I'm using people. I have not their best interests. That's what the prophets are, Baal are doing. They're jumping and this thing, we shall bring fire, all blessings and all. It is ultimately take them to hell. But Elijah does not have a vision apart from the people. So that's how we have to see. I have a vision for myself, but my vision myself is connected with my vision for my brothers and my sisters in the body of Christ. It's a, it's a corporate vision. In there, God has given different functions. And I, let me tell you, that's our issue that comes. Okay. Now, if you come to verse uh, mm, uh, 21, this is where our issue, issue comes. Okay. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, (laughs) nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. (laughs) And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow great honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. Mm -hmm. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism, that is division Division. in the body. But that member should have the same care for one another. But if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all All the the members members rejoice with it. it. if If you get this picture... The church can function because everybody is looking for carnal, fleshly honor and not spiritual honor. Okay, so everybody wants to be there. Every that's what God is talking about. No, like no. Now all of you are seeing primarily my face and my feet. You don't see, and my feet is not upset about it. <laughs> Imagine my feet has a life of its own. It will be sitting like this. How odd it would look. <laughs> How odd it would look, right? No, I want to be seen. I want to be seen. But the head is saying, you idiot, you keep quiet there. Can you speak? No, it doesn't matter. I don't speak. My feet has to be seen. Does that mean my feet has less honor? No. If my feet wasn't there, I wouldn't come from my side of the office to this side. Right? My mouth is useless. My head is useless because my feet is the one which brings over here. So that's how you have to see it. Don't look it in terms of, like, God has appointed in the church first apostles. Oh, so people all today, I am apostle this, I am apostle this, and apostle this. But you have to read in the Bible what the apostle means. Almost every apostle was executed. And they were the ones who were the most attacked, most humiliated. Let me ask you this simple question, right? The most powerful post on planet Earth is the president of U.S. Air Force One, Marine One, the White House, the Secret Service. Anybody wants to take Trump's position? No. No. No, no, no. no. Really? Do you want it to be? I don't know how that man survives. Uneasy lies the head, Pastor. Yeah? Un- that's what the Bible says. Uneasy <laughs> lies the head. head. Ask Pastor Vijay, do you want to be senior Pastor? Immediately <laughs> will say, no. No, 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 no. Because most of the time he doesn't even know 90% of the weight. 
or what happened. I don't even tell them. You know, and everybody thinks about the glory part without understanding the mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. part. This is not a movie where you act and go. Mm-hmm. This is life. This is life. So this is where the issue comes in. The issue comes in. When God has appointed somebody as an apostle, okay, apostle, or second, look at that second, mm-hmm. prophet. Not today's prophet. It's <laughs> a genuine prophet. Almost every prophet was executed. Every prophet. The prophet is, and the apostle and the prophets in so many ways were the most hated people in the society. One is bringing a complete total transformation. The other fellow will point out every mistake which you yourself are not aware of. Okay? So, the Bible is talking about that. So, when you are talking about the body, it's a corporate vision. And everybody has its own function. Like, nobody has seen your heart. But heart is protected. It is protected. It is like in the church, the most... uh, neglected place is a prayer altar. Prayer altar. Okay. Yet the most needed is the prayer altar. Amen. Now we have started three days, but it is not should be three days. It should be seven days Mm -hmm. in your personal life. If every believer, every believer in the actual believers in the kingdom of God were faithful in that secret place. No? Three places God talked about secret. One is your prayer life. The other is fasting. They go together. And the third is your giving. giving. In these three, if people were faithful. Secret means you have no honor there. Because nobody recognizes. If every believer were to be faithful in these three things, I believe Jesus would come in 48 hours or 7 days. Hmm. You wouldn't need time if they are faithful in these three things. But why are people not faithful in these three things? Because Mm. God said, do it in secret. secret. And secret means there is no honor before men. No, Lord. No honor before men. And that's our struggle. So when I have a vision, I don't have a vision for myself. myself. Isolated, alone. I cannot have that from God. The vision from God. No, God so loved the world, He gave His Son for the world. So it's a corporate vision. Okay, so I have a vision for myself. My vision is connected with my brother. And my vision is connected with the rest of the brothers. It is corporate. And don't look for honor in the eyes of the flesh. No, it is not that honor. We, we are able to do what God tells you to do quietly, secretly. And we become part of that vision. Amen. You know? And much is done through people who are not seen. Who are not seen. That is... But so it's, yes. It naturally progresses itself into question number three. So, do we need to go in twos? Why can't we go alone? They say two people should we should go even. Jesus says that. Where is that in the Bible? Of course, it's there in uh, Matthew 10 and Luke 11 as well. Do you you know Jesus never did a single act of ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit? Meaning he didn't go alone. He went with the fullness of the Spirit. So, when we come to... uh, Let's go to Second Corinthians thirteen one. Let's pu- let's put uh, okay, and then Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen. This will be the third time I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall, shall be, be established. established. This is God's God's order. He says everything has to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. witnesses. So the minimum quorum is two. Okay, God has. God has put forward something. 
Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity, any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Mm -hmm. So it's a principle. Whether it is iniquity or whether it is something true, mm -hmm. both has to be established by the witness of two, two or three people. Three. If you come to Luke chapter 10, verse 1, and Mark 6, 6 to 7. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So you will see he sent them two by two. Okay, there are many reasons behind it, but he sends them two by two. And then Mark 6, 6 and 7. He marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit. Then he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out. Two by two. Okay, he said. Matthew 18 and, and verse 15. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Five zero. Matthew 10, Pastor? Matthew 10, Pastor, verse 15. Oh, is it 10? Yeah, because... Uh, Not 15. No. Uh, five zero, if you have... Because 18 has no five zero. Okay, it's then Matthew it is 10. 10. I must have written zero as eight. Okay, go ahead. 10, five zero. Matthew 10, verse 15. 10, 50. F 40? Oh, did I go wrong? Okay, well, again, actually, it talks about two by two only. Matthew ten. Okay, let's let's leave that alone. Okay. Actually, was uh, Matthew eighteen verses eighteen. It's 19, okay. It's okay. Two by two. Okay. Yeah. Now go to Ecclesiastic chapter four verses nine to twelve. Oh, this is awful. This power is not there. Oh, There's okay. no power. Okay. Two are better than one. Hmm. <laughs> Because they have a good reward for their labor. labor. Simple thing, question I ask. Simple practical thing, let me ask you. How would you like to function in life with one leg or two legs? You want to walk or hop? How do you want to work in life with two eyes or one? Two ears or one? Two hands or one? Okay, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. See how Jesus is sending them two by two? Okay, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, mm -hmm. for he has no one to help him up. Now you understand why he sent them two by two? Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can he be warm alone? Mm -hmm. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can it's withstand him. And, and a threefold three cord is, is not quickly broken. Three Hallelujah. is better. Hallelujah. Three is better. But two is the minimum. Okay, now let's go to the spiritual application of that too. Deuteronomy 32.20. And Joshua 23, 10. 32, 20. Ah, I'm getting it all confused today. Okay, one can put a thousand to flee, two, ten thousand. Let's go to Joshua 23, 10. It's not Deuteronomy 32, 20. It is... Uh, Actually, it's, it's, it's 32 only, Pastor. But one man can... One man of you shall chase a thousand. For your Lord is your God who will fight for you as you promised. Okay? But two will chase... How many? 10,000. You see, it, it, it doesn't... We will think one can chase a 1,000 and two can chase 2,000. But that's not the way. Two, it multiplies. Like I, I think, yeah, 30, yeah. How could one chase a 1,000 and put 10,000 to, to flight? Okay. And I think I gave you that illustration last time also. How one horse can pull this much kilos... Yet, when it comes to two horses, it is not double. 
it's much multiple, more than that okay yes. much more than that and that's by what the bible is talking about okay and also it is protection it is also protection there are so many areas in our life where we are protected protected when it is two people amen when it is two people remember even for iniquity it is the same thing <laughs> when jezebel had to set up naboth she gets not one scoundrel a set of scoundrels <laughs> Okay. Set of scoundrels. Okay. Set of so they work in they work in unity. Okay, like honestly, if you look at it, if you look at the, the 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 interesting part of the American politics for the past three and a half four years, interesting part is that if you look at the mainstream media, the liberal media, it seems they all took their cues from each other. Mm-hmm. No. All of them suddenly, DNC spokesperson or somebody will say one word, and before you know, they're all repeating the same word. So, such of scoundrels. <laughs> literally, they are literally. I have no shame about saying that they're set of scoundrels. The set of scoundrels. What they will do to bring a nation down? Oh. I've never seen a set of people in one country who hate their the country, country so much. Oh. Country so much. It's an inherent disease they have. No, I don't think even you see in any other nation where people of that country hate their country except in U.S. Well, everybody else wants to go to U.S. There's a set of people in U.S. who hate America and want to destroy America and to remake America in their image. Okay, but you know what happens? There is no unity. Why is the church so weak over there? Because there is no unity. Two people you will not find standing up, like I said about, no? Andy Stanley. I'm calling out names. Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son. Famous, big church. There is no need for the church to meet. Here is 81-year-old John MacArthur, whom, I don't know, God may use him to start a movement. You know, an act of civil disobedience against unjust laws in a Christian nation. Laws that gives you, by constitution, the liberty to worship. Okay? One well-known fake pastor says, there's no need to meet. And another man is going to court to meet. Okay? So what happens? And when Jesus sent them two by two, he's not sending two people who don't agree with each other. No, no. This is two people who agree with each other. Amen. Agree with each other. And if you understand the history of war, that's why... When you put on the full armor of God, there's no covering for your back. Mm-hmm. Because your brother is your cover. Brother is your cover. If you, if you understand uh, uh, the, the ancient structure of the castles and the houses, uh, if they break in through the front door, the gates and all, they move to the next level. But the entry into the next level, the staircase is so narrow. Or a bridge, the final bridge can be like, you know, two people standing back to back could stop an entire army for hours together until reinforcements came. Even if you're being attacked from both sides, they stand back to back, back to back, and they will hold off an entire army because you have to cross them. Those days, it's not guns and stuff and all. It's like hand warfare, okay? And that's what God is talking about. Two people who are united in the spirit can put 10,000 demons to flee. Or much more than that in the new covenant. 
Even in real cases, that's what they did because the power of God multiplies with unity. Hallelujah. That's why God sent them two by two. And even Jesus in his last moments in the Garden of Gethsemane asked for prayers. Mm. Will you just stand with me in prayer? And they went to sleep. Okay. I'm not saying that even if you have, if you can only go two by two. No, Enoch walked alone. Noah built alone. Elijah stood alone. When you don't have anybody to stand, you can be absolutely sure even if you stand alone, God stands with you. Amen. Stands with you. I'm not saying you are dependent upon man. No, you're entirely dependent upon God. And if you have another man like you or a woman like you to stand with you for the same purpose, your power gets multiplied. Multiplied. That's, that is why we always speak to sisters. Stand up in the gap in prayer. We are the front in the battle, the visible face. But you are the strength behind us. We need you to back up us in prayer. More than anything else, we need the wives to back behind. Whatever you do, to back us up in prayer and uphold the, hold the home together. Because I am a father. I have children. If my home is down, no, I will always minister with grief. Always minister. I cannot go back on my calling. I cannot go back on my calling because the calling is much more important than everything else in life. But you will always grieve and because after an incredible day of ministry or week of missions, when you are returning home, you know home is down. Okay, home is down. But who holds the home up? The mother. The mother. The mother is literally holding the next generation up. Generation up. So what are they doing? They both do realize they both are in the same battle. Amen. They both are in the same battle. Same battle. The husband and the wife, they are two. They are in the same battle. One is out facing the battle in the world. The other one is holding the fort. Okay, holding the fort. You have to see life that way. If you, if you swallow the lie of the world, then you will go in the Hollywood way and die of drug overdose or suicide or whatever. It's just fake. The entire world is fake. The ideas are fake. Ideologies are fake. There's only one thing is true. That is the kingdom of God. One entity true on the world. That is the church. The church is not an organization. It, it is, is an, an organism. organism. Organ organization, there is a structure and there is headweight for CEO. Everybody wants titles. That's what they do with uh, IT companies. They give you good titles and same salary. Okay? But in the <laughs> organism, <laughs> there is a head, there are eyes, there are ears, there are nose, but it's part of the same body same body. You're not looking, oh, my eyes are better than. Mm. No, you're not saying that. We are part of the same body. Our functioning has one. I need you. You need me. Our functions are different. That's oh, how you man, look oh, at man. it. And all preeminence should go to the head that is to Christ Jesus. Yes, Pastor. Pastor, I think that naturally progresses itself in question number six. Therefore, question number, number six. Therefore, because this is so important, how do we discipline relationships? I like that question because the word discipline. How do we discipline, discipline relationships? relationships? Uh, I'm not quoting from the Bible. I'm quoting from Robert Frost, America's most famous poet. Don't consider any poet from the last 60 years. In U.S., hmm. any, anywhere in the world, 50, 60 years, most will be thrown and forgotten in the dustbin of history because they have no ethics, no morals, no values, nothing. So the old-timers. It's Robert Frost in his poem, I forgot which one is, where he said, Good walls 
make good neighbors. Okay. Why is that we don't fight with this guy on that side, on that side, and that side, and the government doesn't come and encroach because there are walls. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good walls make good neighbors. So you need to realize relationships have discipline. And discipline is basically walls. Discipline is basically walls. Discipline is the walls you create to maintain a relationship. A relationship. Okay? And in that wall you create or the discipline you create, there is honor and obedience. And Mm. there is love. Okay? There is love, honor, and obedience. All these things go through. And you know, the entire gamut of relationships have been messed up in the world because they took two things out. They took honor out and they took obedience out. Obedience out. Like if you go to universities, western universities, if you see the way the kids react with profs. Oh boy. Okay. And the profs want them to react that way. This is a new liberal psychology which is demonic. There is no honor, there is no respect, there is no real love, and there is no obedience. And then there is education. That education takes you nowhere. That education takes you. You are not prepared for anything in life. Okay? So God has a structure in relationship. And there is discipline in that structure. There is honor in that structure in relationship. So you need to have that, those, you know, the son is subject to the father, though he is equal to the father, subject to his father. In what? In all things. Mm-hmm. Voluntarily. Voluntarily he subjects to his father in all things. So you have to bring that. So the first relationship on earth is Adam and Eve, the husband and the wife. Okay. Shall we connect it that to, okay, we'll come back to that. So there is Adam and there is Eve. So Adam is created first and Eve is created later. So there is a discipline in that relationship. Though they are equal, yet in function they are not equal. He is the head and she is the body in a human relationship. So what does the devil do? He doesn't go to the head. You know, he will get rebuked. He goes to the body. He goes to the body. Okay? And Eve falls into it because there is no discipline in her relationship with Christ, with her husband. Okay? Okay? There is no discipline in her relationship. Because today when the world is talking about love, it's a love without discipline. Mm-hmm. It's not discipline. Therefore, there is no truth in it. Absolutely. Okay? There's truth in it. If we go to universities and all, our subjects are called disciplines. Exactly. We can have a degree with no discipline in that discipline. <laughs> okay? It's called disciplines, right? They right. call their disciplines. Now, every, everybody gets a degree. <coughs> that does, doesn't mean they know their subject. You know why? Because they were ne- never disciplined in that subject. Hmm. They never took the actual discipline. Because they mug, they write, they pass. And two weeks later, you ask them about anything about the subject, they have no clue what the subject is. Because they never disciplined themselves to learn what was intended? That was what was intended. So the Bible is talking about relationships, and relationships cannot function without discipline. Without cannot without without And one of the fundamental things about relationship is first is with God and man. Mm-hmm. When it comes to God, He tells man be subject to God in everything. Then you can have a relationship. 
then you will learn from God. He's the manufacturer. I am the, uh, the one he created. If I really, really want to function properly, then I need to be subject to him. Mm-hmm. I need to be. That's the discipline in my relationship with him. I have to be subject to him in everything. Then you have the husband and wife. And Ephesians 5, uh, 21 says, be subject to, to one, one another. another. No, be subject to one another. You know? If our one of young men would be a little selfless and turn that fan a little to our side also. <laughs> Submitting to mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. in the, no, no, don't turn it only to us. You also enjoy some breeze. Mm-hmm. It's no power for those international audience. Okay? Mm-hmm. Submitting to one another in the fear, fear of, God. of God. Why should the husband submit to the wife? Because he learns from her. And he needs her. He realizes she's a part of mine. Mm. She's not separated from me. So submitting is a discipline. The most difficult discipline is submission. So the husband is called to submit to his wife. The wife is called to submit to a husband. See, most husbands only know Ephesians 5.22. Mm-hmm. They don't know 21. 21. But 22 then moves first, say, submit to each other. Then 22 goes to a higher level and demands from the wife Submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. This is a discipline of relationship. And then it comes to the man. If you come further down, it comes to the man and tells the man, what is his care? Wife, submit to your husband's, your own husband's as unto the Lord. Lord. And now you come further down. 23 is the husband. Okay, reason. Okay. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Mm. Now you look at it. What is the husband called? The husband is called to submit completely the point he gives his entire life for his wife. That's Christ. That's Christ is submitting to the father for the wife's sake. That is the church. So you will see this is the discipline of relationship. This is the discipline of relationship. But from there you move on. So there is a husband and a wife. And from there, there is a father and mother and the children. And there is a difference. The father and the mother don't relate to the children the way husband and wives relate to each other. It's a difference, different relationship. You bring them up, you teach them obedience, you teach them everything they need to learn. With this in your life, in your mind, one day they are supposed to leave you and start on their own. Um. You're not doing it for them, for yourself. You're doing it for them. That one day they will go out into the world, start their own home, start their own life, and fulfill the call of God in their life. Okay, So that's where it begins, the, the discipline of relationship. Man with God, woman with God. Man and woman together, then man and woman, their children, and that family goes out into the society and they function. These families come into the church and they realize, when you have dysfunctional families, you have a dysfunctional church dysfunctional church. Even if you have functional leadership, you still have a dysfunctional church because the families haven't become functional yet. Therefore, they relate, they struggle to relate to the head. Okay. Imagine my this hand is fine and this hand is paralyzed. Okay. It's connected to the same body. Okay. But this hand is not able to relate to the head the same way this hand is able to relate to the head. Okay, why? Because this is dysfunctional. So you need to realize, God brings all these dysfunctional individuals and families into the church, expects leadership to be functional. That is why the call of leadership is 
Only later, many are called, few are chosen because he is testing them during this period. They become functional. Elijah is functional after three and a half years of intense training during the famine by God in Kerith and Zarephath. And he is standing up there, one man functional, entire set of Israel dysfunctional, and he's trying to bring them to unity and making them functional. Mm-hmm. So these disciplines are there in relationships, and we have to. But no discipline, either in the world or in the kingdom of God, cannot happen automatically. The first, first, the most important rule of learning any discipline, even in relationship, is submission. Sur- submission, yes. Surrender. Submission. Mm. Submission. Otherwise, you may have a talent. You may go like a shooting star and come down. Submission is the first. And submission is the word the world hates. It hates. Why? Because that's the nature of the devil. The devil hated submitting to God. And Christ came and showed us the joy of submitting to the Father. There is joy in submission. Mm -hmm. There is joy in submission because... You are. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. The day I am here and she's alone and the day I am there. Which do you prefer? She'll say, when are you coming? When are you coming? And I am there. She sleeps peacefully. Doesn't have to worry who's jumping on the roof, who's ringing the bell and running away, who's jumping over the gate. And these are the things that happens every day in our life. Leaves the gate open. She doesn't have to worry. But when I am not there, she worries. She worries. I'll be getting the calls. Okay, so you look at it. Which is safer? Which gives you security? Submission. Mm-hmm. Submission gives you security. It brings you security. Of course, there is abuse over there. We are not looking at that. We are looking at the order of God. Okay, which is the safest, safest, safest. If you go to Psalm 32 and verse 5 and then verse 6, if I am right. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave this iniquity of my sin. Salah. So this is David, okay? He submits to God's ordinance. This is what I have done. Lord have mercy on me. He is forgiven. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Mm-hmm. There is a season when you will find God. After that, you will not find God. So David is saying, submit yourself to him. Come under his rules. He's not coming here to condemn you. He's coming here to save you. Don't hide. Bring it to the light. Confess it. Reject it. Get rid of it. And you know what? Because surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. God will protect you. How is God able to protect you? Because you are submitted. There's a discipline in your relationship with him. And verse 7, you are my hiding place. We sing that song. We don't understand the context. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This is a discipline of uh, relationship. Mm. Discipline of relationship. And ultimately, what is the greatest part of a relationship on this fallen world? You have a hiding place. And you are preserved from trouble. The day of trouble comes. And he surrounds you with songs songs of of deliverance. deliverance. And this is a discipline. And for a man... He finds his hiding place in God. A woman of God finds a hiding place. I am under my husband. I am secure. I am safe. The children come under the wings of the parents. They are secure. 
the church comes under the, under the wings of the leadership, godly leadership, and they know they are secure. The minute you start fighting, husband and the wife starts fighting, your security is gone. The children start rebelling. You look at the boy who left his father's house. He thought he was cat's whiskers. His father gave him the wealth. He sold it, put the money in his bag, and he went. For a time, he had a blast. Then he went down and down and down and down. At the end, he's sitting in the pig pen, wanting to fill his stomach with a pig swill. And that's the thing. On the other hand, the elder son, Though he was very legalistic in his thinking, he was submitted to his father's rule. He never knew hunger. He never knew fear. He knew knew what scarcity was. He knew, never knew what poverty was. He was absolutely secure because outwardly at least, he submitted to all the rules of his father. And that's what he says, I've never disobeyed you. Amen. Never disobeyed you. And there was security over there. This is the disciplines of relationship. And in this world, it is very difficult. So the world is built on rebellion. Babylon is built, built on, on rebellion. rebellion. Built on rebellion. While Jerusalem is built on submission, obedience and love. love. Yes, Pastor Vijay, that was another sermon. So it, it actually naturally progresses itself into question number 11. It says, it's a two-part question. Okay. There is confusion today about the women's role in the women's church. Role in the church. My father says that women should be silent like in Islam. Mm. They should be seen and not heard even in Christendom. Would you explain this to us? The Bible clearly says that the older women in Christ are to train the young women again. Uh, uh, women. Again, my dad says uh, that we are emotional and we should not lead or teach. Okay. Titus chapter 2 verses 3 to 5 does not say that. Please teach us about this. Okay. First, let's go to Genesis 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. First thing you need to understand about man and woman is they are equal in image. The man is the image of God. The woman is the image of God. It is not man alone is the image of God and woman is not. It's not that man is the image of God and the woman is the image of man. No. Mm-hmm. no. Man and woman are both the image of God. Okay, They are equal in image. Second uh, Galatians 3 and verse 28, I think. Just check. See, Pastor Vijay, my math, even yes. now I make... When I write numbers, I will write 8 as 0, 0 as 8. Yes, it's right, right, Pastor. Right? No? 328. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor fe- uh, f- uh, free, there is neither male, male nor female, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Meaning, man and woman are equal in redemption. Jesus did not shed one liter extra blood for man and a little less for woman. They are <laughs> saved by the same blood. By the same faith and the same confection. In redemption, there is no difference. If you go to the next verse. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and And heirs according according to the the promise. Eternal inheritance, when it comes to heaven, their inheritance also will be the The same. same. Okay. Nowadays, girls get less. Boys get more in some places. Some places, boys get less, girls get more. Because the boy, in Indian system, people don't understand. Indian system, what the boys do is because it's tight. The boy gets married, takes a fat dowry, and marries his sister off. 
Okay, marries his sister off. I mean, it's 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 how our economy works. Okay, it's how our economy works. We are poor, over taking and listing it up. Okay, because that's uh, people don't understand the Indian system. The girl is important. The girl has to be married off first. And the family doesn't have money. And what they do, they marry the boy first off. The girl brings the money. The money is taken, marries the girl off, and all these things work over there. So. In heaven, please, you look in terms of inheritance, there will be absolutely no discrimination. Each one will be judged, irrespective of whether you are male or female or not. It's irrelevant. Remember, angels have no gender. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are not going to be given in marriage in heaven. We are not going to have this physical body. What that body is, we do not know. Okay, so what will happen is that your inheritance, also you are the same. Image is the same. Redemption is the same, inheritance is the same. Then, what is the difference? The difference is order. The difference is order. Man was made first, the woman was made later. If you go to First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and Pastor Vijay chapter 2. And verse, uh, two, last two verses, Pastor. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Okay? Go further down, please. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So now it's talking about order. For Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay? So, submission, now we looked at an entire thing at it. Submission is not Demeaning a person. Mm. Demeaning a person. When a person submits to somebody, it does not mean that person is less than the other person. Okay? Does that make a less a person? No. Jesus is equal to the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father. But he submitted to the Father in Everything. Everything. Yes. If you go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse twenty-eight. Now, when all things are made subject to Him, who is that? Jesus. Uh, Jesus, right? Then the Son Himself will also be subject to Him. That's God, who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. Even in eternity, Jesus will subject Himself to the Father, and He has no issues with it. Issues with it. So, please don't misunderstand equality and submission. They go together in the kingdom of God. God and the Son are equal. But the Son submits to the Father in everything, all of eternity too. Okay? But there is order. There is order. So, in the human relationship also, God has put order. Thank you, Lord. Power has come. Okay? So, headship is given to man. The issue is with headship. The Bible is not contradicting itself. Not contradicting itself. Headship is given to man. The Bible is not saying that women should be silent, only be seen and not to be heard. No, it does not say that. Okay? Then, uh, if you look at Corinthians, when a woman prays or, or prophesies, let her cover her yeah. head. So, is she prophesying? Yes. Yes. Does man prophesy? Yes. So, in gifts also, they are equal. Yes. Amen. Mm. Okay? Okay. Does a man pray? Yes. yes. Does a woman pray? Yes. yes. So when a man prays, God says, don't cover your head. When a woman prays, let her cover. What is she showing? Both are doing the same task. Mm. But a woman is saying by her covering, I am under headship. 
Okay. So when the Bible is using this term, let a woman be silent, it is telling to this woman who will not come under headship. Okay? Headship. But when he is talking about I do not allow woman to have authority over a man, it simply negates you cannot have women who are pastors. Men who are pastors. A woman can be a teacher in the, in the house of God under a man. A woman cannot usurp the position of a man. A man is the head. The pastor is the head. Okay. The, or you turn with me to First Timothy chapter three two. Titus also tells the same thing. Okay. For people who believe in corporate leadership, it's there in the Bible. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. What does it mean? The leadership is male. Mm. It does not say the bishop must be blameless and be the husband or wife of one man. Okay, one man. Okay. If you go through, come down a little later, down to where the elders are mentioned. It's continuous. Likewise, deacons, deacons must be reverent, not double down, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Yeah, holding the mystery of faith, okay, being found blameless. I think it's in Titus where the elders are also, yeah, said should be the husband of, yes. yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, likewise, their wives must be reverent. Mm-hmm. So it automatically means a deacon's wife is not a deacon. Deacon's wife is not a deacon. Okay, why? This has got to do with headship. It's not got to do with function. It's got mm-hmm. to do with headship. So even if the deacon's wife takes a Bible study, be very sure she got permission from the deacon. The deacon told her, you do it. Then you are doing it on behalf of somebody. Mm. Then the person who tells you, every time my wife prays over, she says, I'm accountable for her praying. I'm accountable for her praying. Okay, pray. So sometimes when I go back home, I'll tell you, honey, when you pray, don't mention these things. She said, okay, okay, I did I? I said, yes, you did. Okay, don't do that. But this is saying, I'm setting the order. I'm setting the order. I'm setting the order. Why? The buck stops at me. Mm. Buck stops at me. Okay, this entire radical feminist movement is demonic. It takes away the liberty and the joy of the woman and destroys families. Destroys families. So you need to realize God is not saying the woman should be silent and seen and not heard. He says function in the proper setting. Function in the proper setting. Mm. Okay? And teach where your head or your pastor, like you have a woman called Deborah in the Bible who is a prophet in desperate times in, in Israeli history in the book of Judges. Okay? And she's the one who hears the word of the Lord. Okay? She's the word. So when a crisis comes, when they come, she they hear from her. But who's supposed to fight the battle? Barak. Barak. She says, you have to go. You have to lead. You're the man. You have to lead. He says, I won't go unless you come. He's a weak fellow. I won't go unless you come. She said, no, you should go. She said, no, I won't go unless you come. She says, if, I'll tell you this. This will be a lesson for all history. If you compel me to come, I'll come with you. But then the glory will become be, belong to a woman on that day. And if you look into the word of God and the new covenant, the glory should have never belonged to the woman. It should have belonged to the man. Because man glorifies God. Woman glorifies man. Um. 
So there's a prophetic message there because people will always bring up Deborah to see why women should be in leadership and all. But her words are very clear, has to be understood with new covenant truth. That day glory belonged to a woman. And in Corinthians, uh, when it talks about the covering and all, it's basically about glory. Man, Christ reflects the glory of God. Man reflects the glory of Christ. And woman reflects the glory oh, of man. man. So in the house of God, only God should receive glory. That's why when we see our sisters, my wife or others, Priyanka, you have seen too, when they are leading worship or praying, they cover their head so that they don't glorify. They don't glorify. Okay? Now, that's only when you are ministry. Ministry. Now, a simple example, because this question came from the Middle East. Let me tell you honestly. If you go to the Middle East or even in Hyderabad, you see all our Muslim sisters wearing their burqas, you know, where you only see their face. Do you know who their husband is? No. Does the husband know who his wife is? The husband knows who his wife is, even though it's covered like that. You know, Sajid knows his wife is, even when she's in a burqa. He looks at her eyes, he knows that's my wife. But nobody else knows who she is. So just think about our example. Our driver is there, his Muslim. He and his wife walks. They don't know her, but they know it's his wife. His wife. You're getting the picture? This is what Bible is talking about. It's talking about glory. It's talking about order. There is an order in God's kingdom. When the order is displaced, it doesn't bring God glory. This has got nothing to do with image. It's got nothing to do with equality. It's got nothing to do with gifts. It's got nothing to do with inheritance. But if you don't come under that order, it will cost you in eternity. Hmm. It will cost you in eternity. Now simply ask this question to anybody in the church. They won't be honest if they were t- they won't honestly tell because it becomes a little this thing, no? If I, I'll ask, put you in a catch-22 question. Okay, 22 question, situation, catch-22 situation. Who is more important to you, me or my wife? They will all smile, they will not answer. <laughs> they will not answer. They will all say we need Papu's word and mass prayers. Honestly, they will say we need Papu's word and mass prayers. We need you both. We cannot do one without the other. They'll say we need Papu's prayers and mass prayers, right? Word, word, prayers. Okay. So do we function as a unit? Yes. Function as a unit. And simply that. You are called to speak. You can speak, but you have to be very, very careful. You are called to speak and you don't go out of the boundaries from where you were taught. Because especially doctrine, you have to be very, very careful and always ask. Like I have, let me tell you, I have, I'll explain to my sisters who are asking these questions. I have, uh, we have two orphanages, you know, one for normal kids and one for handicapped special needs children. The head is me. But I don't involve in day to day functions at all. What I do is make administrative decisions. Okay. Like every week we get a call. We want to give you one more child. And I say no. I say no. Why? Because I'm male. I say no. But if it is a woman head, she will say, poor thing, come please, we will take two, three also I will take. And then you are running for resources the rest of the year because you are not able to meet the resources because that decision should have been administrative and not emotional. Hmm. Administration. Okay. 
I had situations when the government brought the kids here in the in the car and said, please take. I said, no. They said, sir, sir, please, no. They said, sir, it's a government order. I said, I don't care. I don't take a pie from the government. I make the decision whether to take or not. They said, sir, please look at the child. I said, no. If I look at the child. If I look at the, the child, child, I may take it. So I'm not looking at the child. I'm making an administrative decision. No, I don't want to see the child. <laughs> but if I see the child, then emotions get involved. Poor thing, look at her. I have to take the child. But administrative level as a male, that's how God has framed a man. I look at the resources. I look at the organization. I look at how much is coming. Can we handle it? And I say, no, I cannot handle it. I cannot handle it. This is what it is talking about when the whose father is talking about women are emotional. Emotional. Men are not emotional. Men are more rational. Now, everything is gone with the LGBTQ mess that has happened. Men don't know whether they are men. Women don't know that they have, every day they have to have a gender reveal party. And then you wonder why there are wildfires around the states because nobody, I mean, in the new realm into which U.S. is going, every week you may need a party because you're not sure about your gender. And a gender is connected with how you think and how you feel and how you make decisions. And you need to realize the entire movement. way movement of the enemy is to emasculate men. There is no masculinity at all. Masculinity at all. And to make women masculine. The problem is when women become masculine, they are harsher than men. Let me tell you the truth. You look at the women in the Bible, the women when they turn on to the evil side, the women in the Bible who took leadership, they were more wicked than the men. Jezebel was more wicked than Ahab. Mm. And Jezebel's uh, um, daughter, uh, Athalia, Athalia, was more wicked. wicked than the men. That's the nature. That's the problem with emotions. See, a man becoming, you will say you, an offended man will forgive easily than an offended woman. It's got to do with emotions. And in leadership, you don't want that. You want a forgiving man and not an unforgiving woman. You don't want emotional decisions. You want to look at it, use discernment, wisdom, and make decisions. So God has created us that way. And we accept it and say, Lord, I will function according to it. It's not denigrating anybody. That's ex that's simply the way God made us. Man was made in a way. And let me ask you this question. You look at the entire movement in U.S. Entire movement in U.S., okay? You have Donald Trump. You have Joe Biden. You have Mike Pence. Then you have Kamala Harris. Would anybody say anything against Kamala Harris? No. Right? She's also vying for the actual position. If... If Biden wins, he will be first lady. She will be president. And for all reality. <laughs> right? But would you dare to say anything? No. Why? Because women have special status in politics, Western politics. You don't say anything against them. And they will come back and they will make it into sexist and this thing and all. But if you're vying for a political position and that position is gender neutral, you should be able to take junk just like the other man. But somehow, even in your feminist concept, atheistic feminist concept, you believe you receive, you deserve a special status. You know who gave it to you? The God who you deny said you were meant to be protected and not exposed. But now what God has given to you, that protection, you're abusing it by Usurp positions that were not meant for you, but 
The man who is fighting you has to fight you with his hand because she is a woman, but I cannot treat her as a woman. I cannot treat her as a political opponent and give it back the way she gives it back to me because you know I will be called sexist. That's not fair. That's not fair. So you have all these rules which is called sexual harassment rules in all these offices which are all tuned towards women. Women. Hmm. But do you think men are not abused? But where does he go? Can't go anywhere. I'm not saying men don't abuse women. Men abuse women. And abuse started with man with women. With man. Abuse did not begin with women. It began with man. But I'm talking about what happens when we break down God's order. The society crumbles. But that's not the way God intended. Okay, That's not the way God intended. If what I'm saying is not true, wait for the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ and see how order will be restored. The physical thousand year realm and humans will be living on earth. You will see suddenly things will come into order. The way Bible God said. And there will be order and there will be peace. And there will be prosperity and order comes into it. So God is not demeaning anybody. He's saying, this is how I created. You are this. You are this. And I believe that's the devil knew. That's why he went to Eve. And did go to Adam. Adam. He knew she would take an emotional decision. It's an emotional decision. She looked, it was good for the eye. Good for the eye. Right? I mean, just, I mean, I'm not, that's the way God created women. You know? God created women. You, know? you go with your wife, if you're walking down a shopping mall or something, who pull, keeps pulling your hand, honey, honey, look at that, honey, look at that, honey, look at that. I'm not talking about my wife, but she does too. Honey, look at that, look at that. You know? Men doesn't pull the wife and say, honey, look at that. She doesn't. If men do, it's when I point, I'll say, honey, that dress look may look good on you. You know? You know? Because, but it's an emotional thing. She looked at the fruit, which God said, if you eat, you will die. She said it was good to the eye. It's an emotion. It's not rational. It defies reason. Mm. Defies reason. It's good. It's good for the stomach. You can eat from every tree in the garden. And this is God planted trees. Every fruit is tasty, yummy, good for your body. She's saying, it's good for my stomach. It's good for my stomach. And good for wisdom. And she's trapped. Mm. She's trapped. And God, God is just saying that. When it comes to administrative, when it comes to taking the decision making, don't be, don't be the head. Don't be the head. You will mess up. You will mess up. Let man do that. That's the order. And when a man and a woman function like that, there is freedom. There is freedom. But for that man to function like that, he has to be a man under God. Mm. Otherwise, he will also be deceived. He'll also be deceived. He'll also be a man under God. A man under God. That's my answer to my dear child from the Middle East. I'm not mentioning your name. But you are allowed to teach. You're allowed to prophesy. You're allowed to worship. You're allowed to praise. You're allowed to pray. You're allowed to do all that. And But uh, under order. My wife doesn't preach in church. She preaches to the young people and to the women. She speaks to the women. She speaks to the youth, everything. But I tell her. And she's very careful. Very careful about what she teaches and how she teaches. She's very, very careful about that. You know. So that's how it. That, that's how you look at it. Yes, Pastor Vijay. I hope my sisters are are happy, not upset. Pastor, uh, would you want to uh, tackle question number ten because it's kind of relevant to what relevant, is relevant to okay. what is going on? So, 
It says, Nehemiah's first impulse was always to pray. He first went to God in prayer. John MacArthur went to God too. Nehemiah's prayer to God and petition to God was a brave petition to the king. He had a great desire to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Why is not why is God not answering John MacArthur's prayer? Why did he allow the court to deny him? The heart of the king is in the hands of our God. How would you explain this? My first question is how did you reach the how did you presume God did not answer his prayer? What if this is the answer God wanted? America has produced only two great philosophers. Okay? One is Thoreau, the other is Emerson. And if it is Thoreau or Emerson, I'm not able to remember, has written an essay called Civil Disobedience. Civil Disobedience. Okay, now Dr. Richard is searching. Civil Disobedience. I read that in the year 1988. So I have to refresh my memory. It is quite... How many years back we did? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 32 <laughs> years 32 back, years, right? yeah. 32, 32 years back. Well, it's called personal. civil disobedience. Huh? Thoreau wrote so, it. It's civil disobedience. It was about an unjust war. America was fighting with Mexico or something and also as an act of civil disobedience, he said, I will not pay my taxes hmm. because my tax is going to fund the war. So I will not pay my taxes. So he was put in prison. He's a big, big guy, philosopher, okay? If I'm, if my mem, I'm, I could be wrong because to go back 32 years is not easy. If I'm right, he had to spend a day or a week in prison. Like we had our court trying to save face by Bhushan, Shanti Bhushan, what is his name? Prasant Bhushan. Prasant Bhushan, one rupee fine for, you know, contempt of court. They're just trying to save their face. Okay? So he also went in. It is out of that experience that essay comes, civil disobedience. Meaning, we, that is actual peaceful protest. No violence, nothing. But I refuse to pay because I believe your rule is unjust. Mm. So he went into prison. There's some narrative about Emerson visiting Thoreau. I don't know whether it's true or not or it's folklore. Emerson asking Thoreau, what are you doing inside? And Thoreau asking Emerson, what are, are you, you doing, doing outside? outside? <laughs> okay. Should have been so, with me. <laughs> so this is what Jesus said about active nonviolence. If somebody slaps on your right cheek, show you a left. Thoreau, probably an atheist or whatever, put it into practice. How do you take that principle and bring it into a public forum and bring it into effect in a political movement? Mahatma Gandhi became Mahatma later, as a barrister or a lawyer in South Africa. When he was fighting the apartheid over there, and he read this essay. When he read this essay, he said, this is the tool will I will use when I go back to India for India's freedom movement. It will be civil disobedience, non-violent civil disobedience, which is from Jesus' sermon. On the mount. It is the power of the kingdom that took the British out from here. British out from here, okay? And those most powerfully shown visual pictures as what's meant the salt satyagraha. Satyagraha, yes. satyagraha means, satya means truth, okay? So it is a movement of truth. It's not like the movement of the BLM and all. That is radical, that is violent, that is demonic. Mm. Real, pure movements are non-violent and they have incredible power, like Martin Luther Jr. King, 
Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi said in the entire freedom movement, in the salt satyagraha, the British government had passed the law that you could not individually make salt. So Gandhi said, we will make this salt. So he told the volunteers to go, to march, to go make, and when they arrest you, don't oppose. So you had lines and lines of people marching to these places in Kutch and Gujarat and all these places, if my memory is right, to make salt. They are being beaten, arrested, and taken off. They are res not resisting at all. That started an incredible wave of movement. Movement. Ultimately, the British had to, to leave. British has to do. And you need to realize in the Indian movement, spearheaded by Gandhi, whenever there was a protest and there was a violence, he immediately called the movement off. He said, it will not work for us. It will not work. Immediately called the movement off. Seven day strike. There is violence. Some people threw stones. The movement is cancelled. He said, no. It will be an entirely non-violent protest. So that's what happened in the U.S. The whole protest has lost its meaning because violence will not work. Violence is radical. It is socialism. It is communism. It is demonic. The kingdom of God also protests. Mm. It is non-violent. So what if John MacArthur at the age of 81, a very leading voice in Christendom in the reform circle, is the person God is using stand up and refuse to obey unjust laws of the government? This is a nation which is primarily founded for the freedom to worship. It's past part of your constitutional right. And no governor, no mayor has the right, right to mandate you cannot worship and tell you how you should worship to the point you, uh, you should meet but you cannot sing. We will not. If it's a Gentile country like ours, leave it alone. We can't do any of those things. It's a Gentile nation. But a Christian nation, no. Christian nation, no. I'm telling you, there is... Let me tell you what happens into America, the problem with Christians, the problem actually with Christians. They don't know their God, they don't know their Bible, they don't know their rights. They don't know their rights. In the last election, 2016 election, at least 20 million Christians did not even register to vote. Forget voting, they didn't even register to vote. If all the Christians know their God and know their Bible register to vote, the Democrats will never win any election anywhere. Never will win. The Christians need to know their rights, their God, and freedom to worship is my first and foremost fundamental right. And they decide to vote according to their conscience, which is according to the word of God. Nobody will win. Only believers will win. Every county will change. Every town will change. Every city will change. Every state will change. Even California will go red. You know the actual look, the number even in California? I promise you, the data will tell you Christians are the majority. But they won't vote. They won't vote. So John MacArthur may be the man God is using. If I give you this thing, you will worship. And it's something bigger than that I have for you. I want you to stand up. And if they arrest you, go to jail. Go to jail. Go to jail. I admire him. Mm -hmm. One year, he's standing there. Good for him. Good for him. If I was an American citizen in the past, I would do the same thing. But I don't know whether my congregation would come. I admire his congregation too. Everybody came. Everybody came. You know? In a country like that, where you have that kind of liberties enshrined in the constitution, I would rather go to jail and shut down worship. Shut down worship. But I will take the precautions. If you have fever, you have a cough, you have this thing, don't come. All of you with any symptoms, don't come. That is the protection. You are asymptomatic, come. You have nothing at all, come over. Let's worship. That's why he said, we worship Christ and not Caesar. And they don't realize 
the president who is standing for all the rights which Christians want is Trump. And the other ones deny God and will take every right to worship. Everything they will take it away. They are already doing it. Like I said, first is the mask of the beast. Next will come the mark of the beast. This is just a test run before the mark comes. And what is common about every country in the world, what is the common sign? It's a mask. mask. It's a mask of the beast. Mask of the beast. Come on, you need to have some fundamental basic knowledge. That, that micro level bacteria, virus, can't be even seen clearly under an electron microscope. You think the mask will stop it? No way. doesn't stop it. doesn't stop it. Okay. If it stops it and science is king, then why does Sweden have no social distancing, no lockdown, and no compulsory mask? Why does Finland doesn't have? These are all scientific socialist nations, right? They don't have it. And their death rate is lower than most countries. What is good for the goose should be good for the gander too. Mm-hmm. If it is true in America, it should be true in complete lockdown. How many days were we locked down? From March 22nd to uh, May 2, 60 days, India was completely locked down. Nobody even dared to come out of their houses. Did the virus go away? It didn't go away. So is lockdowns working? It's not working. It didn't work. If it had worked, the virus should have died in India. There's an absolute total lockdown here. People didn't, couldn't even get out of their houses. We stayed here for 60 days. We didn't even go home. So all the measures they are talking about has got nothing to do with the virus. It's got to do something bigger than the virus. It's an agenda. And when a believer knows what it is and he knows the whole idea is to stop worshipping, stop gathering, because who is who is uh, hands are tied? Only Christians. Then you need to stand up and say, no, I will not obey this. This is unjust. It's against my civil rights, my fundamental right. One to gather freely practice my religion and second to speak freely. When the government says, when Governor Newsom of California says you cannot sing, who is he? God? Who is he? Who is he? When the Roman Empire could not stop Jesus from praying on the cross, who is he? When you say you cannot sing, you are saying you cannot pray in public too, right? Who is he? Who do these people think they are? To tell a man you cannot sing, you cannot pray, you cannot speak. Who do they think they are? And you need to realize what the U.S. is moving to. And there is a man God has picked, and he's standing up. He's the most public. There's another few pastors are there. But he's the most prominent pastor, 81-year-old. Hats off to him. And asking, where are the Joy Osteens and all the prosperity? Where are all these people? Marching with the BLM movement in Houston, these guys. Where are these people? Where do they stand for the liberty to worship? Where are these people, all these big TV preachers? Where are these guys? You don't see them at all. Where are these people? You don't see them at all. You see the ones who are standing. You know, hats off to him. It's not that I agree with John MacArthur in everything that he says. No, I don't agree with a lot of stuff he says. But I always told my Pentecostal friends, read his book called Charismatic Chaos. I read it years and years ago. Because sometimes you need to hear from a non-Pentecostal to find out the errors of the Pentecostal. It's good to listen to them. Because they see what we don't see. I'm a Pentecostal. And he's a totally anti-Pentecostal. Meaning, John MacArthur and I are chalk and cheese. I'm full Pentecostal. He's fully anti-Pentecostal. But I admire him. I admire him for his strength. So my question is, where are the Pentecostals? You're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit, right? So who's more Pentecostal? John MacArthur who stood up like Paul and Peter and all in Jerusalem? Or the Pentecostals who are hiding now? Where are they? These are the questions we need to ask. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, where is your spine? 
Where is your spine? Where is your spine? He's got a spine. He stood up and he's 81 years old. He's not a young man. He's 81 years old and I admire him. So it's not that God hasn't answered his prayer. I believe God is answering the prayer. The Bible says I look for one man. Thank God he found one man. And it, some of the sisters who broke those laws and spoke were women. Yeah. <laughs> women, black sisters who went right into the black uh, movement and said, you are blinded. What are you doing? Right? You, you look at, you look at the warped sense why you need to stand up. Okay, you need to stand up. In, if I'm right, it in, in uh, no, it's in Washington, Washington DC. Okay? The mayor allows with all fanfare for BLM protect, um, uh, uh, protesters to paint on the boulevard, Black Lives Matter. And a set of believers comes and paints, unborn Black Lives Matter. These guys are given government permission, these guys are arrested. So what do you have to say for it? Because he used one word, what is that? Unborn, because it doesn't fit in with your agenda, agenda, which is the abortion lobby, which is the mass sacrifice of babies that has been going in America from 1972 or onward, Joe versus Roe versus Wade. Mass sacrifice of babies to the pagan gods, literally taking place. Because you wrote, unborn black lives matter, you are arrested by the same police, while the other police stand there and watch, and they do nothing. In a country... We are supposed to have equal rights. So you have to stand up in a place like that. That's why people will ask me, why do I preach so much about America? Because I have the right to speak about Because at a time like this, we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. Because silence is being complicit with the evil that is happening in a Christian nation. I'm not speaking as an Indian. I'm speaking as a Christian. And that's supposed to be a Christian nation. The entire constitution is enshrined with Christian and Judeo-Christian values. And when you see it being abused and trampled right before your eyes, as a Christian, you need to speak. I'm not speaking for America. I'm speaking for the church in America. Mm. And we are one. We are one. Why do I speak about the atrocities of the Chinese government? Because the church in China and we are one. Mm. We are not two entities. We are one. That's an organism. It's not an organization. What happens to Gideons doesn't matter to YMCA. What happens to YMCA doesn't matter to some other. Those are organizations. The church is an organism. Mm. So we will speak against communism. We speak about radical Islam. We don't speak against Islam. We speak against radical, radical Islam, Islam, which beheads and kills God's children. We speak against communism, which kills and has killed more believers, the more people than World War One and Two combined together. Because these are despotic regimes, demonic ideologies. Yeah, demonic ideologies. We'll speak against the democratic entire agenda to silence the church. Why? The church is one. It is not two. I'm connected to the church in the West. I'm connected to the church in the East. And as long as I have the freedom to speak. I will speak. Amen. I will speak. And it's not politics. It's the kingdom. It's the king. It's not politics. I'm not getting in. I got nothing to do with Trump. But Trump got, Trump is God's shoe in the door. Let me give you the imagery. You know, when you, somebody is trying to shut the door, you put your shoe, your feet over there, and there is a little crack there. Trump is God's shoe in the doorway before the door closes. Trump will be, even if he wins after four years, he's gone. So Trump is just 
a shoe in the doorway. And if he goes, the door is shut. Therefore, we pray for Trump. I'm not praying for any of his policies, but I'm praying for his policies. One is the right to worship. Churches will second, right of the unborn child. And the third thing, very important, which Christian parents don't understand, it's radically transform education back from the socialist, communist ideologies. No more federal funding if you change, unless you change the syllabus, because that is where all our children are indoctrinated and they come out as communists, socialists, and burning the looting. It happening in the school and the colleges and built on federal grants. No Three fundamental ideas he has. He already said, if you go to the 1619 narrative, New, New York Times agenda about changing the way America's history, which is based on utter falsehood, he says, if you bring that, or some countries, see, people don't understand the U.S. We will say, oh, that's happening in uh, U.S., in California, it's a blue state, but I'm in a red state, Alabama, or something. Let me tell you, the school in Alabama also teaches the same syllabus. And your child, without your absolute knowledge, is being indoctrinated in socialism. And you wonder, how come these children have become like that? Because you gave education in the hands of the socialists. So, and he's got very clear. So, I'm telling you, I'm thinking it. Means I, I watched American elections all these years. I've never seen a U.S. president who's so clear cut on ideology, which is so close or absolutely close to the Christian Judaic values. And they're after him, the Christians. See, they're not after Trump. Please understand this. The Democrat is not after Trump. They're after the church. Mm. They're after Christianity. They are after Christianity. They are not after Trump. Trump is just in the way. They are not after Trump. If Trump loses, he will be forgotten. But they will come after the church. And people don't understand. And you see a man of God called John MacArthur standing up. Pray for him. That's all what I say. Lord, give him the strength. Stand up. Stand up and pray for him. And churches should all come as one all around the U.S. and say, we are opening. October 4th, first Sunday, we are open. And see what the government will do. What will they do? With a few hundred thousand protesters, BLM, they couldn't do. Not even hundred thousand. All over US maybe. What if hundred million people decide to go to church? What will God, what will they do? That's why the British left. They realized you can't do anything. This is a mass movement. We cannot. You should, I keep telling about, you have to see the day N.T. Ramarao started his movement. I was here. It was a sea of yellow. Yes. They came in their yes. hundreds and thousands and millions. You could not, they, you could not even breathe. The streets were full. And the government fell. That's it. Mm. There was no violence, nothing. No violence, nothing. The government fell. Because they realized this is the people. Government is about the people, right? Imagine 100 million people in the U.S. decide we're going to church tomorrow. What do you think government will do? What do you think government will do? Who will they send? Who will they send? The police, half of them are Christians. They are also in church. The army, half of them are believers. Because most of the U.S. army is made from young guys from the south. The Red Belt, their country boys, they all have their faith. 150,000 of them are Catholics. Catholics, you know? They all go to church. What will they do? If you don't have to lift a single hand, it will stop. It will be open tomorrow. It'll be open tomorrow. Take your safety precautions. We will not be cowed on by unjust laws. That's all they have to do. But where's the problem? The problem is with the leadership.
compromised leadership. And here is a man who has consistently preached the truth. All these years, never turned to the left or the right. He's standing up and he says, no, I will not shut down. And his congregation is equally strong. Equally strong. So you have to give it. The shepherd has brought his fold well. He has taught them well. They are standing together with him. And tomorrow, pray for him. Tomorrow, our tomorrow evening, they will be gathering. They will be gathering. They will be gathering. Pray for them. What is God's will? How we will use a spark? We do not know. People talk about the Arab Spring, right? Everybody knows about a regime after regime and all collapse, but it also fizzled out. You know how it all started? Nobody remembers how it started. It all started with a, yeah. uh, we, what you call it? Not a rickshaw puller, a vendor, vendor, vegetable vendor in Tunisia. He was shot. He was shot. It started when a vegetable vendor was killed and then it spread the flames. Okay, so if George Floyd's death was used to start this flame, Maybe John MacArthur standing up and getting arrested, going to prison, will start another movement, which will shut their voices down. You have to. You have to believe in the power of the gospel. No, you don't need. Non-violence is more powerful than violence. Mm -hmm. Because that is the kingdom. That is the kingdom. That's how the gospel was always powerful. When Paul was beaten, he never hit them back. But the people who hit them fell on their knees later and accepted the Lord. They never hit that. That's the power of the gospel. It's an absolutely non-violent religion. The Christianity is an absolute. Whenever Christianity has taken, become violent, it has lost its power. And you knew it turned demonic. And that's how you have to look at it. And that's why we preach about the U.S. politics. I did not preach about U.S. politics four years ago, mm-hmm. or eight years ago, or 12 years ago. Though I knew Obama was a crook, and I will tell you in TV, he was a crook. I'll tell you why. He's a very dangerous crook, because there is something about Communism and radical Islam, Islam, they are, at the core, they are the same. Ideology, method, they are the same. And when that's where radical Islam and socialism goes together. Yes. They work together. Not the gentle Islam. They don't work. Radical Islam, China and Iran are very close. Radical Islam and socialism are close. And when they two became one, that one man became president, it was Obama. He was a radical socialist and a radical Islamist. And in that eight years, he destroyed America. Everything that is happening now, he paved the ground for it. This is ideology. We are not attacking a person. We are talking about his ideologies and the steps and what his administration did. His administration did. And America is reaping the... And you can... How can you call a country systemic racism when that country not once but twice has elected a black man to be its leader? Not a token president like ours. The American president is the most powerful man there. He's got powers. Twice. Once you can say it's an aberration. Twice? Twice? No. We have tokenism in our country. Not in U.S. They elected a black man. Twice to be their president. And there is no way he could have become president without the majority of the white vote. And they did vote for it. And how can you say the country is racist? Can you call it is racist? No, it's not racist. There is trends of racism and everything and everybody. All of that. But it's not systemic racism. It is not. But systemic racism would have never allowed Obama to become president. Would have never allowed. Because that is ingrained in you. 
white man does not vote for you will not win because 60 to 65 percent of the American population is still white. 13 percent only black. 13 percent will win no election. You need them, but they cannot win an election on their own. So when a person from the 13 percent of the community becomes president, that means the majority voted for him, not once, twice. And how do you call the white man? Racist. Racist. There are racists among the whites, but the white man is not racist. You have to be very, very careful about it. It's not. That's my issue. So I'm not saying there are not racists among white men. There are racists among white men. There are racists among black men. There are racists among brown men. There are racists among Chinese. There are racists out there. But when you take an entire race and tell them they are racist, you are wrong, sir. You are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. It's not true. Let me ask you this question. After all these years in Zimbabwe, Will you elect a white man as your president? South Africa, okay, it's free now. Will you elect a white man as your president? No. No. Will America elect a white man as a president? Yes. Mm. Will it elect a white black woman as a president? Mm. Yes. Because Zimbabwe and uh, South Africa are the two countries in Africa where white men are there, still there. They're mm. killing them. They're killing them. They're killing them. You have to ask this question. You have to look in the mirror and ask yourself this question to ask whether does the color of my skin define my attitudes? You have to ask these questions. We have one African brother here, so he knows. Will Zimbabwe elect a white president? No. South Africa elect a white president again? No. Will America elect a, a black president? Yes. You know why they will? Because at the core, they are Christian. Mm. At the core, they are Christian. At the core, they are Christian. And in Christianity, there is no black, no white, no male, no female, no Greek, no Jew, no race. They know that at the core. No core. They know it at the core. So that's how you have to look at life and think these things because the U.S. election will matter to all of us Christians. That's why no government is doing nothing about the virus, keeping everybody locked down because they are waiting for number third. Which way will the country go? Waiting for that. Number third. Every nation is waiting for number number third. And you will think the epidemic has nothing to do with the U.S. elections. <laughs> it has got to do with the U.S. elections. Actually, everything to do, everything everything got to do, to do with, with the U.S. election. Why you need to ask, why is it so important? Because this is the greatest spiritual battle of 2,000 years after the death of Jesus Christ. The greatest spiritual battle is being waged over the destiny of nations right now. And which way it will go, we do not know. And I believe, believing, he will win, in spite of all the polls. And it will birth the Elisha generation. The greatest generation of believers God has ever God is going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh like never before. The outpouring will take place during that season of grace He will give us. There will be a mighty harvest into the kingdom of God and then boom, it's over. And God willing, beginning with John MacArthur. Yes. <laughs> God will fill John MacArthur. I pray every day, Lord, let him experience someone. He's such a good man, such a righteous man. He's got a spine of steel. Let him know the fullness of the Holy Spirit too. Yes, Pastor Vijay, you pray.
Father, we just want to thank you, Lord. We just want to thank you, Father, that we are, Lord, indeed overwhelmed by your love for us, Lord. That you spoke to our hearts, Lord, this evening through the Q&As, oh Lord. You've spoken to our hearts in so many areas in our lives, oh Lord. And I pray, Father, for every brother, every sister who's listening, oh Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we will take these words seriously. We will not lighten or cheapen the words that you've spoken to us, O Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, with an expectancy, O Lord, we'll go to our secret closets of prayer. And every, uh, Father, giftings that you've given to us in the body of Christ, that we will become serious about them. And we would work, O Lord, knowing that the harvest is plenty and the laborers are few. Pray, Father, that, Lord, you would raise up laborers for the harvest, even during this time. Grant us grace to that, and we pray. Pray, Lord, that even as we go back home this night, and all of us all around you, all around the world, even as we rest in different time zones, O oh Lord, I pray that we will, Father, go with this attitude to prepare ourselves, O oh Lord, Father, tomorrow for tomorrow, that we will be found in your house, prepared to receive from you a word that we will that will empower us and encourage us and exhort us to fight even harder for the kingdom of God in the days to come. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.